0: Can I get a two, two. Can I get a Running her hands through my fro yeah. Bouncing on 24 Come on why they say it ready? It's the remix to Ignition Hot and fresh out the kitchen Mama ruling that body Got every man in here wishing Sipping on. on coke and rum I'm like, so what, I'm drunk It's the freaking weekend Baby, I'm about to have some it. fun Cause it's the I'm hot man. fresh out the kitchen. Mama rule and that body got every man in her wishing. On coke and rum. Yeah. I'm like the water drum. It's the
1: freaking weekend. Maybe yeah. I'm about to have me some fun. Good morning and welcome to episode 951 of Effectively Wild, the Daily Podcast from Baseball prospectus presented by our Patreon supporters and the play index at baseballreference.com. I'm Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello. Hey. And we are joined by one of our favorite people in the world, the general manager of the Sonoma Stoppers, Theo Fightmaster. Theo, hello. Hey, Ben. Hey, Sam. So this is the long-awaited book club episode. I don't know if it's long awaited. It was long advertised, at least. <laughs> Hopefully, some of you have also been awaiting it. But uh... Theo's been waiting. I've Theo's been waiting. waiting. I'm yeah. very needy. <laughs> so uh, we've gotten a bunch of questions from listeners. We'll go through those. We'll make Theo talk a lot because Sam and I talk on every show. So uh, I guess probably a lot of people are wondering about the name first and foremost. That's probably the most common question you get. So what do you know about the name? About my name? Your name. Uh,
2: Yeah, that's my favorite question, Ben. I mean, uh, (laughs) every person who I give a credit card or any form of payment to or make reservations with asks me this question. So this is... Uh, you'd think by now I'd have a, a well versed response.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, which I have like seven of them, but I got it from my dad. Uh, uh-huh. It is Prussian. And apparently, as my father and grandfather told the story, our ancestors were, you know, fought in the Prussian army and uh, were literally fight masters. And when they moved, to the United States, it was translated to English from *Schlagmeister*. Wait, wait, to... wait, wait,
0: wait, wait! What do you mean? Are we're literally fight masters? <laughs> they were. They were warriors. Oh uh, They wait. So they were master fighters. Yeah. They were not. They They did not uh, master over fights. They were not running boxing. I always think of this person as like a ring master, a master over the ring. And, but you're saying that the master is an adjective here. They just had mastery of fighting
2: yeah Yeah, mastery fight mastery we shortened it it was just easier for you know checks and uh the analog world that they grew up in
0: wait is a ringmaster a thing yeah okay good right
2: yeah no believe it or not sam you're the first person to bring this angle uh to this question
0: (laughs) yeah but so ringmaster yeah of course ringmaster's a thing i uh but i guess it's more like chat this would be more like a chess master
2: Look, uh, I I I wasn't around in uh, you know Renaissance Prussia or whenever they were uh, doing their thing. I just have this uh, really cool name that's you know it's worth all of these stupid questions, but I don't have a good answer. It's just my name, Miller.
1: Can you do some genealogical research and we'll call you back later once you know? <laughs> I should, but I
2: just, uh, I i kind of like having it unknown because uh, it bothers so many people that I don't have <laughs> a specific lineage uh, traced out as to, you
1: know, where it came from. I just, yeah. it's a, it's, uh, leave me alone, guys. <laughs> I just want to know how you qualify as a fight master, whether there's like a a mastery level exam that you have to take, you have to kill a certain number of people or Dispatch someone in a certain way. It's just an online test now. I mean, I think <laughs> Sam's taking it as yeah. we speak. It's just a BuzzFeed quiz now. Are you a fuzz? <laughs> ma- are you a fight master? What's your um, favorite lacroix color? <laughs> so we're gonna talk about baseball and the Stompers and your job and congratulations on winning a Pacific Association title. Thank it you. Was, I uh, uh, well deserved.
2: Thank you. It it feels better than it should. Um, I would like to know your guys' ring sizes just for (laughs) posterity mostly. But um, if I can get Eric to write the check, you guys definitely had a hand in what we did this year. And it was a really rewarding second season. You know, I was really kind of bummed out trying to go into it without you guys and not having the same sort of support or energy around the team. And uh, so it was a nice that we were good this year also and kind of helped the hangover effect of last year.
1: Yeah, well, we don't want to make this entirely about us because it wasn't mostly about us and <laughs> we were not there and you were running a team on your own or, you know, with a, a few people helping out and we didn't have all that much to do with it. But we did get a couple of questions. About that, so I will ask them now a question from Brandon and question from Eric. Brandon says, in the book, our heroes, I guess that's us, explain how they were able to work personal connections in order to acquire normally expensive products and databases and lists that the Stompers normally would not have been able to access. What did Ben and Sam implement or use in 2015 that you were able to replicate or use again in 2016? For the products that stuck, did the year under your belt make this easier to use did you have the staff person power to implement these as well as you wanted, or did some utility have to fall by the wayside because of capacity? And Eric also wanted to know whether anything Sam and I did actually stuck around for season two.
2: Uh, yeah, I think the the quick answer is no. <laughs> but the real answer is, yeah, We I, I didn't want to regress. Uh, I knew that it would be really challenging with fewer resources, fewer bodies to do the things that you guys helped us do last year. But Michael Conlin, who is was one of your guys' scouts last year, uh, was involved from spring training even earlier on, was you know very much uh, a big part of what we did, even from signing contracts and just having an extra smart guy to help me organize paperwork as we're signing players and getting guys into town. Uh, and then he was our advanced scout. We basically had one advanced scout all season. He was in Pittsburgh and Vallejo and San Rafael uh, when we were when we were not, and he would give us really good, thorough sky reports that we were able to use. John Cheneer kept Grapevine up and going for us, so that Tim mm-hmm. could do things that don't generate any revenue for the team <laughs> during the uh, during the day. So yeah, we, Grapevine was uh, was updated uh, throughout the season. We use that as a way to look at splits quickly and you know kind of get a little bit more of a objective picture of what some of our guys were doing. Because as I know, another question mentioned kind of the the personal nature, uh, the relationships we have with these guys, because we do work so intimately with them. A lot of these guys have been on the team for three years now, and it's really easy to sort of have these biases against you know, or for a guy often like, you know, I'll use an example Mark Hurley didn't have a really good year this year, but he had such a great year last year. We kind of kept waiting for him to have a good year. And we started looking at the numbers and kind of the numbers said, well, you know, Mark's sl- slumping right now. And and I think without that, we would have not, we would have kept him in the lineup every single day, regardless. And, you know, there was times where we're, he had to kind of come off the bench. Um, so we did try to look at things more neutrally is that a word? I'm I'm like fried. This is <laughs> September, and I haven't slept or like had a weekend since April. But uh, yeah, you won a championship. I'm just keeping takes uh, a lot out of you. It does. It does. I'm gonna keep walking or talking.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the uh, so there was no pitch FX this year, and the program that Sam and I and our scouts used to chart games bats was not around, and so Michael and anyone else who was scouting games was just. Coming up with workarounds And I, yeah. I saw a spreadsheet where they were just Literally writing down Every pitch and where it was And I yeah. guess what the result was And there were just some kind of you know, Workarounds that they tried to use In the absence of this technology There was still a radar gun And, and Chris Long updated his spreadsheet Of college guys And sent that to Tim I don't know whether you got anyone from it But you did end up signing Taylor Thurber Who was one of my uh, missed connections from 2015 from the spreadsheet, and he ended up signing with the Frontier League that year, but this year he did sign with the Stompers and was really good, so that was nice.
2: Yeah, the spreadsheet was, uh, was helpful again. Taylor was maybe one of the most valuable pitchers in the league. He, we kind of used him as sort of the fireman, or as Sam would say, the fireman. Uh, initially, I would say that
1: too. And a, then, I say fireman.
2: Okay, all right. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I, I, I think he uses a, almost like two words, like fireman. <laughs> There's a pause in there. Um, Taylor was great. He broke some club records, including uh, one held by Eric Gonzalez, which we can talk about later. And he was actually a really interesting, unique guy who who pitched really well and probably wouldn't have been the guy that we we tabbed with. Starting the championship game, if there was one this season, that's how good he was for us. So uh, it was exciting when we heard he was released. Our bench coach, Chris Matthews, was with him in Schaumburg last year. And kind of that whole thing, he knew about the Stompers from Ben's uh, stalking of him last year. <laughs> uh, his dad's a pilot, which is, as Sam will like this, like that's the greatest thing ever for an independent team to have a player whose dad's a pilot and he can fly his son out here and then home at the end of the year. So Wow. Taylor was uh, was very good. I tried to get his dad to fly other guys in and out. Didn't work, but
0: you probably you probably tried to get his dad to fly banners uh, over the stadium advertising, <laughs> uh, you know Mary's Pizza Shack. <laughs> uh, that would have been a good one, but I don't Stompers know if American could have been the
1: only indie league team with a charter service, their own Stoppers Airlines. So many missed opportunities. <laughs> Uh So you mentioned that question, which came from Ken, and he said that advanced stats make us look at players objectively and focus on production. And so he wanted to know if, or maybe I should say when, you transition to a major league general manager job, how you would be more ruthless in your decisions and less emotionally attached. And that's something that I think all three of us struggled with to some extent last season. And it was partially wanting to avoid confrontation and partially not wanting to make anyone sad. And uh, there were probably times where we kept someone we shouldn't have kept for that reason, or yeah. that at least played a part in our thinking. Do you think that you could give that up if you were to graduate to some higher level GM job? Well, despite uh, despite Sam's
2: tweet, the twins haven't called me yet. So um, <laughs> I'm going to update my LinkedIn profile and, you know, find a headhunter. But um, yeah, you know, that was actually one of the big takeaways from last year is that we just didn't release guys who weren't very good. We kept waiting for them to get better, even though there wasn't real evidence of that. And this year, you know, a lot of it was from experience. A lot of it is kind of getting more used to uh, destroying dreams and crushing souls Um, you know, you remember what spring training was like last year where there was some meetings where there's like not a person in the room who's not trying to fight back tears. Um, it's really personal when you're telling somebody that the thing that they've wanted to do their entire life, uh, they can't do it anymore, or at least they can't do it right now. So I do think I've become a little bit calloused. Uh, this was my first spring training, my first season where like I didn't have one of those meetings where there's guys in tears and I'm keeping my stuff together. And I think it was just, you know, that was, I think I credit Yoshi with that. I credit uh, Chris Matthews with that, you know, who are guys who've got way more experience in professional baseball who have been on that side of the conversation as players themselves and just understand that's part of the, the cycle. So we did that and we kept upgrading our team. we, if a guy wasn't doing well we would try to find a guy to be better so yeah i mean i guess the the short answer is yeah we i learned to be a little bit more objective a little bit more neutral i did bring back a couple of players who i had questions about you know we rent i referenced gonzo earlier i didn't know what gonzo had left uh, he had a pretty bad year for us last year he was not engaged physically or emotionally in baseball, went to Columbia and figured something out, broke his collarbone in the spring. Uh, and Sam, you know, we talked about kind of me dodging a bullet because I wouldn't have to bring back Onzo or have hey. a conversation. Edit that well, you out. Can... <laughs> Jeez. None of these guys listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> don't take yourself so seriously. Half of them haven't even read the book. Gonzo owns the book, and I don't know if like a single page has been creased long enough for him to have read it.
1: That was a another question we got from Doug, who wanted to know how many Stompers read the book and what they said about it.
0: Well, and actually, I want to ask you because we talk, I went up there for a very early game. Was it your home opener, or the second game of the second home, home game? I think
1: home
2: opener. Yeah, home
0: opener. Yeah, and. Uh, I, uh, we heard, uh, one of the players told us that, uh, the new guys, uh, hated the book, that they, they hadn't read it, but that they, they hated the book and, and made fun of it, uh, without having read it. Did you have any, um, I, I'm more curious, not from like, you know, if Gonzo read it, uh, or if, uh, the guys who returned read it, but like, what was it like for the the guys who were not here last year, uh, to, you know, like joined this team that was like selling a book uh, about the previous year's team? Was there any kind of resentment that like the, uh, you know, like a feeling like the ex-girlfriend was, was, you know, (laughs) like you were saving all of your ex-girlfriend's love letters or something like that? No, I actually think, uh, you know, a couple of the guys
2: that knew guys who were really excited by it. Uh, I know Martin Cronin, who was with our team for most of the year. We Uh, we drafted him out of the league tryout back in April. He knew about the Stompers from last summer and he read the book and he enjoyed the book. It seemed to be, and granted, these guys tell me completely different things than they tell their teammates because I'm the general manager. So, you know, while I have, I think, a pretty good, pretty honest relationship with a lot of them, I'm still their boss and they maybe don't fully disclose everything that they would disclose to their their teammates or their friends, but I didn't get that at all. I actually saw more sort of resentment about the book from guys who were here last year, guys who felt like it was a distraction last year. Well, if you think that's a distraction, we're going to put girls on your team, and then we'll see how distracted you guys are. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think it was just kind of a. It, they felt like they were coming to a more bona fide team. They were maybe they're playing in the Pacific Association, but they're playing for this team that their uncle read a book excerpt from in the New York Times. Like it was a little bit more of a, a glamorous place to be in the unglamorous
0: world of low-level professional baseball. Did any player uh, that, that you found out about have an issue with uh, anything you were quoted as saying about them or about their, their teammates? Because, you know, we, we, we quoted... Uh, All of us, uh, you know, having pretty frank conversations about some of the players, uh, either as uh, members of the team or as uh, players on the field.
2: Well, the closest I've got is our owner, Eric Alotta, didn't like how Ben quoted him at his uh, team party (laughs) in spring training. Uh, And then he said, well, how, how did he get that speech like completely word for word? Like I remember saying all of that. I was like, cause he had a recorder out. It was on the table that you were sitting at. Well, I didn't, I didn't agree to that. Like, uh, we, we kind of did like, we knew Eric that they were writing a book about us. Like if you, yeah. anyway, um, Mark Hurley was reading the book and he was pretty early on when he got to the Will Price chapter and he came up to me after reading that and he was like, that was hilarious what you told Will. And that was the last thing I heard about him. So uh, I I don't know if he got to the point where Ben wanted to release him uh, or if he just maybe he dropped the book and his bookmark fell out and he picked up like a
0: chapter later and never knows that we we were going to release him. uh, Well, if he did, hopefully he gets to the part later where Ben uses that (laughs) as an example of our limitations and how he almost made a terrible mistake for the team. Right. And thank goodness Faye wouldn't let him. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Thank goodness for Faye. I mean, that's kind of the afterword of the
1: book, really. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah, and Joshua asked if we told the players and if we told Theo that we were writing a book.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I just thought you guys liked us. I thought you were.
1: I thought we were paying you. Uh... <laughs> yeah, and uh, he asked if anyone asked not to be a part of it or if anyone objected at any point, and in my experience, no, right? I, I think everyone... Basically, forgot that it was happening, or maybe never
0: believed that it was
1: happening. <laughs> so
0: well, certainly, yeah, certainly didn't believe that anybody would ever read. Like I think that the if you ask, mo- most people in the league, probably thought when we said writing a book, we were going to self publish some ebook on Amazon that nobody would read. Like they they thought we were, you know, probably delusional about.
2: Well, Sam has a good anecdote to that point from uh, the tryouts when you oh, yeah. ran into your buddy Matt
0: Kavanaugh. <laughs> Yeah, I saw, I saw, uh, I went to the tryout and it was, um, just before the book came, like a week before the book was going to come out or th- three days, I think, before the book was going to come out. It was the and, weekend your op-ed in the Times ran. Yeah. So <laughs> correct, you can correct it. I might have this anecdote a little wrong, Theo, but, uh, yeah, Kavanaugh says, uh, so, uh, so how's, how's that, how's that book thing that you guys were going to do coming? I said, "Oh, it's it's good. It you know it comes out in three days," and he goes, "You wrote it." <laughs> <laughs> this is the Pacific's manager, yeah. <laughs>
1: so and, and hero of the book, really, in many ways. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, it just wasn't an issue. Everyone knew we. Explained why we were there, but uh, we certainly told Theo that we were writing a book. But yeah, uh, I, I
2: told everybody, like, I used it as whether it was wise or not, I used it as a recruiting tool. I mean, I used it as kind of a sales pitch to say, Hey, people might remember this team in this season for a reason they don't normally remember a lot of teams. I mean, there's a lot of major league teams that don't get books written about them in a season, so. I, 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 nobody seemed to object, uh, nobody really, in terms of the player's off-field behavior, I don't think anybody really modified their, uh, their fun to sort of, you know, worried about how their girlfriend, uh, one day might read the book or their future wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that there was anything like scandalous or juicy, uh, in there, which was disappointing to me just because that would have been, uh, humorous, but yeah, I yeah, obviously everybody knew everybody was on board and. It wasn't a real big secret.
0: Uh, no, it wasn't at all a secret. It was, uh, we yeah. Oh, anyway, my wife, when she found out that you guys had won the championship uh, this year, she said, oh, you know, that's that's great. What did they do that was better than than what you guys did? Like, what? how come they were better this year? And one of the things that um, I think is easy to identify is that while we were terrified of the Pecos League because we didn't know how to put any of the numbers into context because we knew that they had... Uh, you know, ballparks where it was 290 to dead center and um, and the pitching was horrible. And you'd see, like, you'd have batters who were batting, you know, 480, uh, you know, fairly, <laughs> fairly regularly. I mean, it, this is a league where teams would, some teams would give up 10 or 11 runs a game on average, their pitching staffs would. So we stayed away from it. I think if we stuck around for another year, we probably would have tried to crack that code. But we basically fought, any effort to even bring in anybody from the Pecos League. And the Pacifics did not do that. They got a bunch of really good players from the Pacific League, uh, not the, Pacific, the Pecos League. And you, uh, this year went into uh, the Pecos League and got a bunch of players. And I'm curious, A, whether there was any process to how you identified, uh, which ones you wanted, wh- you know, how, what it took to convince you, uh, and B, whether you, f- uh, what the results were, how that worked out for you.
2: Well, it worked out really well. I think uh, you know we added a couple bullpen arms down the stretch. Ryan Richardson and Adam Ogburn, who were both in the bullpen for the Alpine Cowboys, and they basically came in and turned us into. You know, what everyone wanted the Yankees to be this year. I mean, we had kind of a three-headed monster in the bullpen with Ogburn and Richardson and Jose Flores, who was another guy that, you know, by way of Ben and Sam found his way to Sonoma. His agent was uh, the same agent as Paul Hazdovic from last year. And uh, when Flores got released from the Brewers, I think they called Sam and Sam gave him my number and, and we signed Jose. So I didn't do anything this year. You guys did everything again. But uh yeah, we just... Again, we looked for references. We looked at numbers and then we would talk to guys, you know, D Fox, Derek Fox, who was here this year, who had been in the Pecos league pretty much his whole career and had pitched or had played in Alpine a lot, you know, knew these guys pretty well. So I think we trusted while this is really, really risky. I mean, you saw this last year, trusting player recommendations, whether it's, you know, a guy like uh, rhymes with Schmacher or, whatever, you know, you don't want to trust these guys, but I think there are certain players that are objective enough that they can say, "Hey, this teammate and this place I played is a good ball player." And we we took a flyer on a kid who had just absurd numbers in Caleb Bryson, and for the first month of the year he had absurd numbers up here. They started throwing him more breaking balls and he found his way out of the lineup probably more because we didn't have a position for him and we brought Joel Carranza back. And, you know, Joel was going to DH every day, uh, no matter who else was an option, really. Derek Fox was another guy who we signed in 2014, was here for about two weeks. When I went back and looked at the numbers, he had just terrible BABIP. I mean, I think he just hit into a lot of bad luck. He hit a home run in two weeks, which is not a real power guy. He was still drawing a lot of walks. He was getting on base. He was playing decent defense. But he just was hitting into some bad luck, so he went down and like was the Pecos League MVP in 2015. You know, hit whatever 450 or something. Uh, so we said, hey, let's try this guy again. He's a good kid. He's a character guy. Uh, I know his host family would be excited to have him back. And uh, I think we just took more chances, to be honest. I think we were. I was okay with being wrong because waiting for that perfect opportunity to unfold itself just doesn't happen in life. So make a decision, right or wrong, just make a decision. Action feels
0: good. Action does feel good. So uh, I want to go back to Caleb, because, uh, and I'll preface this by saying, I think it is undeniably like one of the biggest uh, mistakes that Ben and I made was ignoring the Pecos League uh, and uh, feeling like we, um, you know, that instead of trying to, 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 Dissect the Pagos League. We just put it off to the side and it cost us big time. But uh, as far as Caleb goes, um, he was, he was the second best hitter in the Pacific Association, uh, or sorry, at least, uh, second best hitter on the Sonoma Stompers last year by OPS. And, uh, he was, uh, you know, one of the best, uh, hitters. Let's see. In fact, I can probably get that real quick. He was among regulars. Uh, he was like the sixth best. Uh, hitter in the whole league he was a great success story and you're right he had crazy numbers in the pecos league the year before he hit 356 447 822 which is a 1269 ops on his same very same team though there were better hitters than him there was a guy named shane casey who in the same number of played appearances had a 1318 ops and there was a guy named uh, Eric Williams who in the same number of played appearances had a 1318 ops and then there was another guy right below him at 1118 and so um, so when'm I'm, I'm curious why Caleb like why not Shane or Eric why did you when you saw Caleb come over and hit so well did you go oh well let's see you know how the guys who were better than him do did you reach out to them or was this simply a matter of going back to, the sort of old model of whoever calls us up (laughs) will look at. Like, was Caleb just conveniently lying around for you? And and to some degree, you kind of lucked into him.
2: Well, I I told you this about Caleb, I think, when you came up uh, in spring training for your your book reading at, at Copperfields in Petaluma, that he was the guy whose dad emailed us last August and you know that was like the the biggest red flag I've seen is when a guy's dad is emailing you because guys' dads are less objective than their agents are. When the off season came around, and I did a little bit more looking at his numbers, and I saw that he had some success in the Cape Cod League. I saw that you know his collegiate numbers were were also impressive. I called his manager and asked for a recommendation in Trinidad, and and his manager spoke incredibly highly of him as a guy and as a player Um, and actually I talked to him about Eric Williams in that same phone call and Eric didn't want to come here we tried probably through half our season to get Eric here as we were trying to stabilize our own outfield we didn't start the year with Matt Hibbert you know we had uh, a couple guys that we were rotating in and out in right field neither of them made it you know to August with us So we were actually trying to get Eric Williams, basically, again, based on his numbers and and based on the fact that we were willing to take a flyer on these Pecos League guys because they are happy to be here. When a guy gets here from the Frontier League or the American Association, they're like, where are the showers? When a guy gets here from the Pecos League, they think that they've just been promoted to the big league. So uh, the mindset and the appreciation is is different, too. Eric Williams, I think, was going to retire at after the All-Star break in the Pecos League, he felt like if he was hitting damn near 500 and no one was giving him a chance, besides the Sonoma Stompers, uh, that he did not really have much of a career and was going to go
1: start his adult life. And Aaron asked about the churn in independent leagues and whether 2015 and all the players we lost in the second half was typical. And it seemed like you maybe didn't lose quite as many players this year, but maybe you were just better about replacing them than we were the year before?
2: I think last year was a little bit of an outlier um, mm-hmm. in terms of the number of guys that went. And, you know, I I think this, that last year taught us a lot that we weren't going to be in that situation where we're caught on our heels and if somebody does go, we don't have anybody in mind to replace him with. So we did a lot more of letting guys a bullpen if they were in town uh, or if they emailed us or if they called us or they had a good reference you know we would take a look at them and kind of keep them on our radar uh, we just kept better tabs on more players so that when spots either opened up by players going up we could make a, a move that was more of a lateral move than a move out of desperation we would do that and if we thought we had a chance to improve the team we did that I mean how many moves did we make last year that made our team better? I don't know if we made one move in season that uh, I, I, I might be missing something off. Well, I guess Dylan we added... And Zan- Sand-
0: Dylan and Zantos. Yeah,
2: we we added those guys, and, and they were basically retired free agents. So that was, that was you guys. Good job, you guys. <laughs> but other than that, <laughs> other than <laughs> the two guys who are now playing... Affiliated baseball.
0: I guess the, Mike, I guess if I was going to, the question that I was getting at was, like, we. I, I think we really tried to get past the uh, the pool of, of players who were contacting us as a means of acquiring players. Like, we wanted to expand the universe. And I was curious if, if you continued to kind of expand the universe of potential players uh, rather than just uh, sort of checking your inbox and asking who knew somebody. Yeah, I think we did. We actually... All right, there you go. Yeah. Okay. I'll just stop there. <laughs> Period.
1: So we covered a couple things Sam and I did that hopefully were useful during our time there. But a couple of people asked about ways we were bad or they, uh, they asked, Aaron asked, what was your biggest disappointment compared to your expectations of what we might bring? And then uh, Jody asked also how much additional work we made for you. And uh whether our presence meant longer hours for you.
2: You know, um, my biggest disappointment was you guys showed up in spring training. Like I, I thought you guys would be here sort of earlier in the year and mm. see a little bit more of what goes into ramping up an organization of this size into, you know, trying to do what we do at the ballpark every night. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that was just, you know, me thinking that was interesting because I think it's interesting. That's why I choose to do it every day of my life. But, you know, I don't think, you know, any were corduroys in the dugout, which, uh, <laughs> is just, I think you, I don't know if there's a max fine big enough for that. Um, but I don't, I don't think you guys outside of Ben, like at three o'clock in the afternoon, when I'm trying to get to the ballpark would text me and say, Hey, can you, can you make photocopies of uh, of this <laughs> questionnaire of these surveys to see how dialed in guys are? And it's like, yeah, I have like 15 minutes and all sorts of uh, printer ink I can just waste on your surveys, Ben. Mm-hmm. No problem. No, but I, I thought you guys were very self-sufficient. If I had to schedule advanced scouts and if I had to, you know, you guys, I thought were pretty, I don't know, you, you guys insulated me from uh, too much extra work and anything that you guys needed I would have been happy to do because of what you were doing for the stompers I mean you know you guys raised our profile you made it a whole lot more fun and interesting to uh, to you know I think about what if I was in Vallejo or Pittsburgh mm-hmm. like what if that was my job you know granted <laughs> I wouldn't they wouldn't hire me um, but to have you guys there was at a texture to the season that I was really happy to have and you know it was going into the season I was gonna I was kind of missing you guys didn't know how it was gonna it felt sort of lonely and empty without uh you guys telling me what to do
0: how do you uh you know I I went to a pacific's game before I ever went to a stompers game and met you and you know who knows maybe but for a quirk of fate uh we could have been working for them how do you think you would have thought about us if we had been doing this with the Pacifics, would, would you have thought that it was, you know, gimmicky and Bush league? Would you have thought it was unfair? Would you have thought it was too try hard? Would you have uh, hated Sabermetrics and mocked them and called us uh, big league?
2: I want to ask the question of like, what would you guys have felt working for San Rafael? Like how would it have been working with Matt Cavanaugh and Mike Shapiro?
0: Well, I mean, everybody's pretty tribal, so probably we all would have loved each other and been best friends. Okay,
2: so this was just pure fate that <laughs> you guys like me. Probably. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, I think I think there would have been an element of sour grapes for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm human. This team that, you know, for those who don't know, like I started in San Rafael and, and any sort of success that they get to enjoy that I don't get to enjoy now that I'm not there, I feel... Not resentful, but like, hey, I kind of helped them get there. Like, I should be reaping some rewards. So I would have probably been a little bit bitter. I think I would have been excited about the project. I don't know if I would have read the book. Uh, It might have been, especially if they won, I don't think I would have read the book. (laughs) Let's say you guys go and do everything and the results are exactly the same, like we lose in uh, just devastating fashion. I I don't think I could stomach reading that chapter again, knowing that uh, you guys were with the bad guys. But I think, you know, objectively, I would have said, yeah, go for it. You have to do that sort of stuff. I would have hoped that they would have done it as earnestly as I think we tried to do it. Whatever I mean by that, I'm not even sure. <laughs> you know, just with like, you know, some level of integrity, some level of, as they like to say over there, respect the game. Uh-huh. Um, you know, maybe they would have had you in uh,
1: in baseball uniforms in the dugout instead of corduroys. And it would have been whole totally different. We discussed that at some point, I remember. Or before the season I think we talked about whether we should do that And we all agreed that we would just look ridiculous (laughs) I guess (laughs) we looked ridiculous anyway But (laughs) in a different way At least people saw you coming though (laughs) Yeah (laughs) Um, Doug asked How we all decided That Theo should be the one to sign his name On all the motivational letters We gave to the players at the end of the season Who brought that idea up Why did we end up doing it And we all wrote those, the three of us and Tim, and then uh, Theo signed them. So how did we decide to do that?
2: I thought it was my idea. And I asked you guys to find me some data that would support that, hey, you know, despite all of these kind of name players leaving, we're still a really good team capable of putting up numbers and winning games. Can you guys help me kind of divide and conquer? And it was a little bit, you know, it was very gimmicky. It was like, hey, let's the boss cares about you. The boss wants, is in your corner and believes in you. And I thought the letters should come from me because I was, you guys, to a, for some segment of the clubhouse, were a little bit polarizing. And I don't think I ever was there. I think I was sort of steadfastly a stomper, regardless of being in management or not. That's my recollection of it. Maybe it was Sam's idea and I just remembered it being his mind.
0: No. You're right. It was your idea. I I always wondered whether it really was that you wanted to write a letter to one person. And uh, then once you had that idea, you thought, hey, I could do this for everybody. But I don't know if that was the origin or not. But uh, yeah, it was your idea. It was a great idea.
2: Mm -hmm. Totally worked. I think we won at least one game after that letter.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Plus, that was like like 2,100 words of our book that we didn't have to write anymore.
2: You guys had to write, like, 1,100 of them. You wrote about half a yeah, lot. Right? Yeah, yeah,
0: but, but when we there would be times where I, you'd, you'd be writing. I mean, we wrote that so fast that you could not get any writer's block at all, and there'd be times yeah. where you'd sort of start to stall in an afternoon, and then you'd go, wait, I can block quote here. <laughs> and anything I was that joking. you could block quote would get you going again.
2: Tim and I were joking that this podcast is happening now just so you guys can block quote the whole, like, afterwards for the paperback edition. <laughs>
1: yeah. So Ken asked how often we went back and forth in thinking, I'm glad there will be a book where we get to document this, and I wish there weren't a book where we'll have to document this. And to use a poker analogy, did it feel like playing hands we knew would be televised later? So I guess we can all answer that. Maybe we have different answers, but there were definitely times, especially early in the season, when Sam and I wondered whether we were screwing things up, and we even discussed whether we should ask our editor to postpone the whole project and and just do 2015 as a trial run and then come back and write the book for 2016. You should have. Uh... <laughs> would have been a different book, very different. I don't know whether it would have been better or worse, but that's something that we thought about just because we were worried that it was running off the rails. But were there times where you thought that Theo or or you wondered whether this was just a disaster and why did I ever agree to this
2: no um the only kind of anecdote that pops into my mind is the day we traded Faye to Bridgeport uh-huh. um Sam and I Sam thank you uh, by the way I was gonna let it linger for like two more days because I didn't want to Deal with it. I didn't want the confrontation. I didn't want the the blow up. I didn't want the you know what was it three weeks of uh, uh, crazy text messages that followed our trade of Faye. Ben got probably the <laughs> the worst of that. <laughs> but you know Sam basically encouraged me to just pull the trigger and get him out of here Sunday afternoon, the day that we clinched the first half. And we're walking back to the office because Sam's going to be in the meeting so he can record it and write a book about it. And I was saying, I'm just going to lie to him. I'm going to tell him that we need to you know, lower payroll. It's a business decision, and he's our most valuable asset. And Sam was good with it for like three steps. And then he's like, wait, you can't lie to him. There's going to be a book. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm going to just go with it. I don't know. I don't care if he reads it and he finds out I'm a liar. He's not going to like me anyway. It's the easiest way for me to do this really difficult thing, you know, professionally speaking. So uh, I just told him we had to go another direction and we traded him to Bridgeport and uh, kept it really very much like, you know, the line from Moneyball where, uh, you know, talk to the traveling secretary. They'll have the details for you sort of thing. Like didn't get into the details didn't get into the minutia of why it wasn't working out anymore. We just found the easiest way to tell him he was leaving and told him he was leaving.
1: So, Jack wanted to ask about some of the sausage making of the book. We won't get too deeply into that. We have talked about it in other interviews and how we went about it. And basically, we didn't start the book till the season was over. We kind of were thinking about it all the time. And you guys thinking. had such
2: great intentions of writing as the season
1: went on. Remember that? Yeah. We were going to journal. Yeah. 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 Oh, we were going to come back from the
0: ballpark every day and write down everything that happened. And it's part. I, I of, mean, we part of how we, we wrote, sold it to the publisher is by yeah. saying we could do a quick turnaround because we're going to have it mostly written by the end of the, end of the season. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. And there was just no time. We were exhausted. You were driving back and forth. I was writing for Grantland. It, it was there was too much going on, and the team R. was R. taking R. up too much of our time. Yeah. And uh, so we were recording lots of things and writing notes a little bit at least and I was surprised by just how much I remembered at the end of the year just from some basic notes and it was good that we had to write right after the season because if we had had to wait or if we'd been able to wait we probably would have forgotten a lot of things but we didn't have time to forget anything but uh Jack wants to know how conscious we were of things that would make good fodder for the book as they were happening and how many times did we think we had the Narrative arc pegged before it changed abruptly again.
0: Uh, so that's a question for us. Not yeah, for, not that for sounds Theo. like that's you guys. For us, go ahead, Theo. No, uh... my my narrative <laughs> arc never changed. It was uh, true <laughs> all season long. <laughs> um. Well, to the first question, you just you. I don't know. You just always know. Like when you hear a sentence that would make a good quote, you you can always tell if you've been doing it for a while. Uh, and same with anecdotes, and you know, there might be like I, we would be keeping score. At, you know, the games we were scouting and there'd just be little notes, like one sentence, or one word annotations uh, in the scorecard or whatever. Just as a reminder to, you know, in three months, circle back and th- write that thing about, you know, that thing that you just saw. As for the narrative arc, I, I'm not sure. I had a, I, one of my friends tried to convince me uh, we when we were six and oh. I guess we were six and one. It was right after our first loss. He tried to convince me that the book should end there. Uh, And which it was a a crazy idea that um, he was sort of being joking about, but uh, just is to the point that it already felt like there was a developed narrative arc to it that would have, you know, been enough that there was already enough twists and turns uh, in the season that we could have ended the book right there. Uh, But I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know how to, I don't really know how to answer that. I mean eh, I don't know. Ben, I don't know. We should I, uh, I think it, I mean it changed I think
1: at least a few times because we started out so great and we were winning every game at at that point the book could have just been I don't know, we're brilliant, we're geniuses or or maybe we didn't even do that much and we're winning all the time. I don't know, it would have been one of those things and then of course we started losing and we started Losing a lot of players And there was the the grind that set in And all of these things And, you know, the second half didn't go nearly as well As the first half, so that changed everything I mean, if we had just coasted to the title The book would have been very different If we had been bad from day one The book would have been very different So I think it was changing all the time And then, of course, there was the Confrontations with Phelan And the ultimate Reconciliation with Yoshi And That was changing things all the time because, you know, if we had never figured that out and never got along with the manager, that would have been a different book than it was ultimately where we did have that breakthrough and we got to do the things we wanted to do. So I think it changed all the time. And that was one of the reasons, in addition to the lack of time, that it was just hard to start. We could have described scenes as they happened, but we couldn't have really fit them into the larger arc because we had no idea what the arc was going to be until the last
0: pitch really of the season so i think it was it would have been tough i don't even know if there was a narrative arc there's a there's a chronology i mean the arc is like we find out if we win or lose at the end of all this and on the way there it's just a chronology i mean there were bullet points that we isolate you know that i we identified as things to build a chapter around but mm. I don't know that I ever really consciously you know thought, "Oh well, you know, where are we on the hero's journey or anything like that?" <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: <laughs> I was actually going to ask you, and maybe we've mentioned it, maybe we've talked about it. did you guys have any strong opinions about what was a better result for you guys and the book, uh, like winning that championship game or losing? Did one of those outcomes make the book or the story? in your
0: estimation, uh, a better story or would have made it a better story? Well, if I think that to, there are sort of extreme ways that the season could have gone that might have been interesting for, for their own reasons. I think, it, for instance, if we really had gone undefeated in the second half like that. We were there close. We were there really, would have,
2: really, there would really have, close.
0: You know, there would have been an interesting story there. And if we really had just turned this into a complete dumpster fire of a season and uh, gone, you know, like eight and 70 and the whole team like half the team quit like which a lot of people were expecting that when we started like they'd go a great thing about this project is that no matter how bad it goes like the worse it goes the better it is for you and we ended up with a um, a sort of season in the middle and with uh with within you know ha- if you have a season in the middle I think that the way that it played out was really good for the story and and I don't I don't think that the last game mattered I think that I would have rather I think that I would have rather written about a season where we win the in in the final weekend and have home field advantage in the last mm-hmm. game. Uh I am disappointed that the setting for that last game is not Sonoma is not Arnold Field. But I don't know, I think it is fine. It was you worked with what you got. Never it never really seemed I don't know it never really felt all that important whether we were winning or losing for the for the book. Um I mean, the, look, I've, I've, I've told a couple people this, but like the, the secret, the, the dirty secret about this book from my perspective is that the whole thing about running a team and employing sabermetric ideas and all that is that's the framing device to sell the book to a publisher. That's the elevator pitch. But really, I think Ben and I just wanted to write about a baseball team. Uh, and this was the way that we could convince somebody to pay us to do that. And I, I really just wanted to write one of those, you know, classic basic type things where you write about a season in a baseball team. So, uh, you know, as far as that goes, it didn't really matter whether any of it worked. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I wanted it to work because <laughs> I was
1: worried. I didn't want it to just be uh, documenting a season with a team. I was worried that if it turned into that, then a lot of people really wouldn't be interested because you know there are thousands of baseball teams playing every season and they all have interesting people and stories and anecdotes and you know if there's a low level independent league team a lot of people are going to say who are these guys why should i care and you know i didn't want it to be purely a just a little slice of life story about a small town on a small team and you know players chasing their dreams and all of that i wanted that to be a big part of the book definitely but I didn't think that could be the whole book and have an audience, really, and, and you know stick in people's minds as much. So I was worried about it turning into that all season, and that's why I did kind of keep pushing the we-have-to-do-things-that-we-said-we-were-going-to-do angle, just because you know even if they didn't work, even if we didn't get to do all of them, we needed something, I thought, to make it stand out from just the diary-of-a-season sort of model and uh i hope it did i hope it was a good mix in the end because if we had turned it into the real laboratory and science experiment and we'd done all of that stuff you know like there were a lot of times during the beginning of the season where i just thought oh we have to make them stop bunting cuz we're a sabermetric team and it's embarrassing if we're the sabermetric team and they keep doing dumb bunts and you know you you didn't care at all about that cuz you didn't think it was interesting like if we made them stop bunting who cares that's not an interesting chapter for the book or anything and and that is true too so i think if we'd been able to do all those things it might have been more boring in some ways because you know either they would have worked or they wouldn't have and That's about it. If we'd just gotten to do everything we wanted to do from day one, then there's no conflict and it's just kind of a dud, I think. So anyway, I hope it ended up with the right mix of math and science and also humor and character. All right. We are close to finished here. Just uh, a couple more. John asked uh, whether there were any female players at the tryouts when we were there. There were not. Uh, And Did we think about bringing a female player on board? The Stompers had success in 2016 with a few female players, but wondered if that was in your considerations for 2015. And it was something that we talked about, and we spoke to a a woman who has played at a high level before, and we were interested in, in having her come play for us, but I think she had some other things going on in her life, and we were just so overwhelmed with what we were doing and trying to find players anywhere that... It was just one of those things we didn't get to, one of the many things that we didn't do. And, of course, Theo, you did it. So uh, give us a a summary of how that went.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it's not a totally unique idea. I mean, there's been women who've played professional baseball. Uh, You know, Isla Borders played for probably four seasons in the American Association. And uh, Iri Yoshida pitched for a team in this league when, you know, Chico and Maui were around. We talked about it. I think last year with you guys about maybe you know it's a point of differentiation. It's a little bit of marketing. It's a little bit of a a fun wrinkle. You know what made it happen this year was this guy called Francis Ford Coppola. Um, I guess that's his name. <laughs> calls us up one day and was like, "Hey, there should be girls on the team." And we went to lunch and we listened to him. And Jack went and ordered the the rack of lamb, which is like the most expensive thing on the menu at Francis' restaurant, which is a real power move. Um, I had the hamburger, and, uh, you know, we told him it would be really difficult. It was going to be, for a number of reasons, it was going to be challenging, and he said, yeah, I don't care. Try it. So we tried it, and, you know, I think we had mixed results. I think we found two young women who are remarkable people. Uh, you know, Kelsey Whitmore and Stacey Piagno are both way, 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 way above average when it comes to baseball. You know, and they still have some some growth and some. They need to get better as baseball players to be more consistent against this type of competition, which they've never faced before in their lives. I mean, Kelsey was literally playing high school baseball last year, and and outside of or this year. I mean, this May she was playing high school baseball, uh, and outside of you know a few guys like Bryce Harper, not many people can jump from high school to this level of baseball. Not that this is the big leagues, but people don't realize how good some of these players are saying that her, her approach to the game was, was advanced. Uh, she, she really did have a good approach at the plate. She had an incredible work ethic and then, and then Stacy, you know, Stacy had better stuff than guys on our team in terms of you look at her season numbers. There was guys who pitched for us this year who weren't as good as she was, uh, in some respects, And she throws harder than some guys who pitched for us last year, at least a guy. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it was a really fun sort of cultural thing to be a part of. It was fun to, you know, we were at Lagunitas for a team party and Stacy gets on the piano or Kelsey's on the piano and Mike Jackson starts singing John legend. And like, it was just the type of thing that wouldn't have happened from a clubhouse culture standpoint if it was just a bunch of dudes. So, that was you know, it was a really rewarding, cool thing to be a part of, just even regardless of the box scores. And we're gonna we're gonna see what we can do. We we had a midseason tryout this year and a couple of women registered and came out and you know, they didn't we didn't sign them out of the tryout, but I think the simple fact that more women are thinking about baseball or even young girls or more importantly, even you know, there'd be like a five-year-old kid who'd come up to Kelsey and they'd want her autograph, not because she was a girl, but because she was a baseball player. And like, it didn't even register to this kid who's like in his very formative years that this is a girl baseball player. And in the world of girl baseball players, maybe the most famous girl baseball player right now. So I think that stuff is, you know, kind of the big picture stuff is what was exciting to be a part of. And, you know, it's one of the things that we are proud to do and kind of need to do as a small team that's always looking for new eyeballs.
1: All right. And uh, last question, and I'm going to ask this just in case it's a prelude to an actual offer. Question from James. If the Stompers were to receive a large sum of money, what would be the first thing that you would use that money for? Uh, define large. <laughs> yeah, well, he said that uh, we could make up a number that would make for a good question.
0: Five, so. $5 million dollars.
1: Oh, yeah. No, that's a good. Um, well, I'm, I'm getting a raise. <laughs> and uh, we're going to
2: pay off debt. Uh, uh-huh. We're going to pay off a lot of debt. We're going to $5 million. I'm going to redesign some t-shirts, maybe get some championship gear,
0: uh-huh.
2: uh, pay for rings. Now, uh, I would love, like, to me, the, the longevity of the Stompers is so contingent on not just our own success, but the league. Like, if there's no one to play, there's no Stompers, and... You know, if we were infused with some sort of cash or something like that, I would look at a way to stabilize this league, maybe uh, add a couple of teams, find some good operators and just sort of grow the entire league because that's what the Stompers are probably the most reliant on. Like, I feel pretty comfortable that we can make this work if we have teams to play. Uh, Sonoma, even though it's a tiny population and we don't... You know, we're not necessarily a profitable venture. You know, we're getting closer and closer to break even. And our third year actually might be even cash flow break even. But, you know, we only are as good as our, our weakest partner. And right now there's two teams in this league that you just, you kind of wonder uh, how long are they going to stick it out for? So uh, $5 million would go a long way. I appreciate the generosity. And uh, <laughs> you can make a check out to Stompers Baseball LLC.
0: <laughs> so you would use that five million dollars basically to shore up the league. That's interesting. Like you would not use well, it for
2: uh, some for, of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Interesting. I
2: mean, the left. What's left over?
0: Yeah. Um, I uh, I think that you might be one of the people in the world uh, who is most qualified to answer the question of what it will be like for the Mets to employ Tim Tebow. Uh, and I bring that up for a couple of reasons. One is that as a you know as an indie league GM. You've hired uh, people who are very famous, uh, more than they're very good at baseball, although with some success uh, on the field as well. Uh, but, you know, people who are clearly distractions and who are there for financial reasons. And, uh, you know, we don't know for a fact that that's what the Tebow thing is, but, uh, you know, whatever, we'll see. But um, but also, I'm curious because um, I'm going to tell a little story. I don't think I've told this story about Jerome, uh, Jerome Godsey was a 36 year old, uh, pitcher on our team last year, 2015. Uh, and he was a local guy who had been, you know, involved in local baseball going back to junior college. He was the all time saves leader at Santa Rosa community college where I believe you went, Theo. And it's,
2: uh, it's not a community. It's a junior college. Oh, okay. It was a junior college. Oh,
0: sorry. sorry okay. So, uh, and so Jerome was, uh, he was a local guy, but his, uh, he had an extremely touching story, um, about how he ended up being. On the Stompers, and I guess if you, I can tell it or you can tell it, it's up to you. You tell it. Why don't you tell you it? You tell You're the storyteller. All right, so as recounted by Theo to me, <laughs> uh, Jerome was um, a D1 college player uh, who didn't get drafted, and uh, this was before indie ball was a, a real big thing, and so his career just sort of ended uh, at that point, and, you know, 10 years pass. Uh, and shortly before the season, the Stompers 2015 season, uh, Jerome's, uh, father suddenly passed away unexpectedly. And so as Theo recounted it, uh, at the time, one of the things that made Jerome want to play again, after so many years of being away from it, uh, was that this was a chance for him to sort of honor his father by pursuing this, you know, the, the baseball dream the the professional baseball dream. And I, I felt like Jerome deserved his roster spot. I thought he was a good pitcher, uh, as well. Uh, and, uh, and I liked having him around, but certainly he also had this really compelling story for why he wanted to be there. And a lot of the guys on the team didn't really like Jerome personally, uh, cause he talked a lot, but also hmm. there was a resentment of him because he was old. He didn't have a future in the game. Uh, he was not like them, uh, sort of grinding it out to try to move up a level. He was just there taking up a roster spot so that he could, you know, play ball, uh, as a hobby in, in some sense. And there was a, I think there was a lot of resentment toward him for that by some players, and maybe toward you, Theo, for giving a roster spot away like that. And so I'm curious if you would expect there to be uh, any backlash to the Mets uh, front office by the Mets prospects, by Mets minor leaguers, who would be doing that same sort of math and going, well, hey, this is a guy who is taking up a roster spot. He is costing some kid who's just like me a chance at their dream, so that he can indulge, you know, his uh, in his fame-driven fantasy. Would you expect that to be an issue at all?
2: Yeah, I would. I mean, you know, minor league players at all levels have very little leverage. And I'm sure that's like, you know, another book that could, could be written. But yeah, I think that's a big part of it and that was something with Jerome that maybe if I didn't have this the personal relationship I did have with him, it didn't have, you know, kind of the the storybook element to it he would have had a harder time making the team but you know he he played with Faye uh, he was pretty good I mean he got outs he knew how to pitch and independent baseball is about getting outs and wins and getting people to come and watch you play um, but I think uh, yeah I think Tebow he's made his money right I mean he's not gonna he's gonna make more money being Tim Tebow than he's gonna make playing minor league baseball there's gonna be a fair amount of resentment but these guys are all his teammates aren't gonna they're not gonna give up their spot on their roster and give up their dream because they have a guy who they used to share a locker room with who's not there because Tebow's there now. I, I mean I, I don't it would be something that we care about for ten minutes. Maybe we'll care about it again in spring training if he's you know, if he's still around and it's just something for Skip Bayless to talk about. I don't know, it's Tim Tebow. I can't believe we're still talking about Tim Tebow in the year twenty sixteen.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually saw a thread, one of the stompers I'm friends with on Facebook, posted something earlier today about uh, Tim Tebow and his status has a frowny face and his mood is feeling annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he uh, goes on for a while about how, uh, you know, he lets sign another football player to play baseball. It's frustrating when guys are out here living in their cars, living off ramen noodles. Just to get a chance to possibly play somewhere, and this guy comes along, and because he's a big name, he gets a shot, and expresses yeah. the idea that there are there are better people out there who are not getting the shot. There sure are. I mean, and, and
2: that's you know we picked up a guy mid season this year named uh, Chaz Meadows, who turned out to be a huge pickup for us. And you know I talked to Chaz. He had a scholarship to go to Long Beach State. He played there a year. Went to a smaller school. And he was just kind of soured on baseball, and he was telling me how political it was. And my response to Chaz was, you're giving us way too much credit. Like, this is random. It's not political. The reason we signed you is because we happened to be in Pittsburgh today. You were taking ground balls for Aaron Miles, and he didn't want a shortstop. And we did. We had three infielders who couldn't catch the ball for the last two weeks. Like, it's just pure, I don't know, random luck that we were here today, you were here today, we needed you, and we signed you. It's not like we have this big agenda to you know, screw over all these deserving guys. And while I think we tried to travel parallel paths with doing what was most right for our organization and what was right for all the players individually, you can't always do that. And, and certain people get the benefit of whatever positive uh, benefits they can bring to a team, whether it's publicity or fame or... Whatever it might be, that's going to happen in life. That's how life is. Like every work environment is kind of that way. You know, we're we're all very political creatures. We are all trying to do what's best for ourselves. And
1: uh, some people get screwed in that process. All right. So if you had a question for Theo that we didn't get to, you can find him on Twitter at Stompers GM. You should follow him there regardless. Theo's great. We love him. You'll love them, too. And if you want to learn more about the Stompers, you can go to StompersBaseball.com. And if you want to buy some Stompers merch, there's a sale going on right now, right?
2: There is, 35% off of all of our uh, all of our apparel uh, in the sizes that we have in stock. Sorry, Jesse. Um, <laughs> sorry, Sam. <laughs>
0: sorry, Sam. Yeah. Sam, how many hoodies do you need, honestly? Uh, mine is, mine is uh, after about 6,000 wears. Uh, In about four (laughs) washes, it is starting to pill, unfortunately, and I need a new one, and you don't have one. That's
2: actually really impressive that it's just now pilling. I know, I agree. Um, Yeah. I will probably have more merchandise uh, in time for a big holiday uh, sale also. So for those of you who are not fitting into whatever sizes we have online. Uh, my apologies. Thanks for your support. We also take donations. You know, you don't have to buy a sweatshirt. You can just send us money. <laughs> it works that way. Like, you can send us 35% less if you wanted to. Just support the team if we don't have your size. Um, or you can check back, like, around November. Maybe I'll have my act together and, you know, a more robust
1: uh, merchandise collection going. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad we did this. It took us too long. but uh, Yeah, me too. For- coming on and thanks for all your help with the book
2: my pleasure guys thank you for everything miss you guys and uh maybe i'll
1: see you again one time (laughs) someday (laughs) someday (laughs) all right so i realized that we did an hour plus long podcast about the book and i never said the name of the book I don't know whether anyone's been listening this whole time thinking, I wonder what book they're talking about. I'm guessing that if you got this far, you know. But just in case, our book is called The Only Rule Is It Has to Work, our wild experiment building a new kind of baseball team. You can look it up on our website, theonlyruleisithastowork.com. If you like it, leave us a review. I think the Stompers are still selling autograph copies on their website if you want one of those. You can support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. Five listeners who have done so already. Daryl Spitzer, Matt O'Donnell, Jack Wheatley... Eric Rikstraw, and David Pendrith. Thank you. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. Now over 4,400 members. You can rate and review and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. You can grab the new episode of the Ringer MLB show, which also goes up today. Michael Bauman and I talked to the Braves ballpark organist, as well as a couple people who are hard at work on StatCast. And you can reach me and Sam at podcast at baseballperspectus.com or by messaging us through Patreon. Have a wonderful weekend. We will be back next week. The
0: freaking weekend, baby, I'm about to have me some fun Come on, uh. girl, we off in this G